0: Welcome back, perfect peeps, to Perfect Dev, Dev. Nader Dabbit with me. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Thank you for having me. Nader is actually a senior developer advocate at AWS, which is amazing to have. How long have you been with AWS? I joined in January of
1: 2018, so a little over two years.
0: Very cool. Are you enjoying it so far?
1: I love it. Yeah, I really yeah.
0: do. I love your, uh, your background, by the way. You must uh, work from home often.
1: Yeah, this is my little um, studio at home, or or actually, I wouldn't say at home. It's in my hometown, but I work remotely and I have like an external studio. Um, I do a lot of podcast, uh, video recordings, you know, live events and stuff. So we have a pretty decent setup in here.
0: Very cool. Did you? So you're kind of like over AWS, the platform as a whole, as an advocate, then, not specifically Amplify? So I work for AWS Mobile. That's kind of my team. But
1: within AWS Mobile, we have Amplify, AppSync, Device Farm. We have a few things. But the thing about Amplify is that it actually touches, you know, a few dozen AWS services. So yeah. we kind of are expected to know not only the tooling around Amplify, but also, uh, you know, building stuff with the services and, and how all of that works.
0: Cool. So uh, for the listeners that don't know, what is Amplify?
1: Yeah, it's kind of... Uh, it's three different things, but really the the idea is you use Amplify as uh, a developer to build full-stack cloud applications, full-stack serverless applications. Full-stack, you know, it actually is the front and the back end. We, we provide the tooling, we provide everything uh, to kind of work both on the client and on the server. Um, and when I say the server, I mean kind of, you know, AWS uh, resources and AWS services. Um, The stuff that we're building on the client are things like SDKs for mobile and web. We also build CLIs. So we have the Amplify CLI. Uh, The CLI is kind of something you would use um, to build and create different services from your front-end environment. So you can kind of basically be a single developer and have a good understanding of just your front-end technology skill set be that native iOS or be that uh, React or Angular or whatever, and you can actually use your existing skill set using our tooling to kind of build these scalable applications that used to be only uh, kind of open to very, very knowledgeable backend and AWS devs, but now we're kind of hoping, and a lot of the stuff that we're doing is actually breaking down that barrier and kind of enabling a lot of new developers to get into the ecosystem. Yeah,
0: very cool. Sorry, my video kind of cut out. I had to switch to my MacBook. So um, that's that's really why I probably started into Amplify as well, um, coming from a front-end development um, kind of background myself. And so it's it's been interesting. The new company that I work for, um, we have a large, uh, large project that we started and they're definitely within the AWS platform. And so I started down the road, um, of Amplify because it, it was so similar uh, somewhat to Firebase and so it was kind of a good way to to get started into that that atmosphere that that world of AWS so it's been really it's been really cool it was a good launching point to start learning about all the other pieces to Amplify which I think would help people out um, I was I was a little more surprised uh, or a lot surprised by how much like Cloud formation and like S3 and Dynamo and like all those things you had to start to like kind of learn as you got into the product, but it's been fun. It's been a good experience. Um, what do you like most about Amplify yourself?
1: So I mean, the thing that I've kind of focused on with uh, with respect to a lot of my career and the progression of my career has been taking advantage of like really powerful abstractions. Um, really focusing on developer velocity and being able to build stuff quickly. And that kind of brought me from early days when I was just writing JavaScript to then adopting stuff like jQuery mobile. And then I got into mobile development, but I didn't want to build you know iOS and Android. I also wasn't an Android or iOS developer. So I started playing around with stuff like Ionic and then React Native came around. I, I started getting really into that. and um, when you start becoming good at those abstractions, you start seeing the tremendous value and payoff there. And then other people start recognizing that when you start demonstrating that to other people. So with React Native, you could kind of write a single code base. And if you wrote the app properly, you could actually not see really any performance difference between a native iOS or a native Android app. So when you um, kind of are able to to show that, and then you look at the costs associated with traditional native development. Um, I was able to build a pretty robust and successful consulting business just around training other companies, even massive companies that had uh, you know all the money in the world to throw at these problems. The combination of reduced costs, improved developer velocity and efficiency just in general is a really great selling point. So, like fo- focusing on that type of stuff, I'm always looking out for what's what's in my opinion like that next big thing or the wave that I could ride. And when I saw Amplify, um, I, I kind of I've always been really interested in cloud computing, but the barrier to entry has been has been really high. And for me, when I start looking into AWS, it's uh, intimidating because just to learn one thing, you might spend weeks or months just getting good enough in it to actually use it, but in, in reality, you can't just use one thing you actually have to put a few of these pieces together to make it all work so when I saw the uh, the people and the vision behind amplify and what they had already built, I was just sold automatically because it it is the answer to that problem of like how can a just normal or like beginner even front-end developer someone that doesn't know anything about backend how can they uh, use their their skill set and actually build the next like Netflix or something that will scale to that, to that, you know, um, to where that is, but uh, be able to kind of like, you know, not have to invest 10 years learning how all that stuff works. And that's kind of like what we're, what our goal is. And and that's kind of what we've seen some companies actually do even, which is really, really cool. But yeah, I think the selling point for me, while I joined the team is kind of the vision and, and where we're headed.
0: Yeah, that's, that's great points, especially on the React Native. I, I think uh, even like Netflix until a couple of years ago, were are doing React Native instead of uh, writing kind of the true native, if you will, um, not abstracted layer. So it's definitely fantastic. Um, great points on, on the AWS piece. Like scaling out is fantastic once you're in there because you're basically just running on top of AWS um, as a whole anyway. So it's pretty cool. Um, so one of the one of the other questions that we had for you, we are kind of hot on the uh, the AppSync side of the world, and for those who don't know, AWS products, AppSync is actually a, a GraphQL based, uh, I guess API infrastructure, if that's the right way to say it. Um, yeah. And then AWS has another product called API Management, which is strictly like REST based, not with that GraphQL piece on it. Um, would you say most people in Amplify are kind of headed towards AppSync at this point, or where's that where's that kind of layout?
1: Yeah, definitely most people that are using Amplify are, are leveraging AppSync in some way. I think the cool thing about it is that you don't have to buy in completely to any of these things. You know, you can kind of uh, be building your application and have your GraphQL API, but you could also have a couple of REST APIs if you would like to. I think you know what. If you are like a hardcore GraphQL enthusiast, you would say, put everything behind my GraphQL schema. And even if I have HTTP endpoints, we're gonna map those to some GraphQL resolver. But not everyone wants to do that. And I don't think there's anything wrong with not doing that. In fact, we see companies in production not doing that. So if, if people are building businesses and companies that are making money and scaling, doing something, then obviously, Um, that it's working for them. And uh, so like, uh, yeah, I don't think there's any reason to kind of have to buy into any one thing. But like with AppSync, I think that uh, for sure, a lot of people, almost all the people using Amplify, if they have a data layer or using AppSync in some way, I think the advantage that it brings is that it kind of combines everything together between DynamoDB and an API endpoint uh, along with authorization and authentication. And that putting all those things together are not that easy for for someone just getting started yeah. um, and then and then you just out of the box you get all of the stuff that that graphql gives you anyway and that's just kind of like extra you know without having to do any extra work so you get you know the uh, t- the strong typing within your schema and then you can kind of look at your schema and know exactly what's going on in your application you also have all of the different uh, access patterns that you can interact with from all of your front end applications without having to rewrite a uh, new backend APIs for each device or, or, or whenever you need a new endpoint, you don't actually have to write that. It's just there if you're using GraphQL. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, um, definitely AppSync is becoming, you know more and more popular. And as we build better, better abstractions on top of it, I think it's gonna become even more popular. Uh, to me, the biggest, uh, the biggest barrier to entry and to me, the worst developer experience part of AppSync, is the resolver layer. And yeah. when you have to write a custom resolver, you have to write uh, in this language called velocity templating language or VTL. Now, yeah. a lot of that VTL, yeah, you've probably, you've probably run into that. A lot yeah. of the VTL is actually like created for you. You don't have to do it at all. But let's say you do need some custom business logic. The first time you jump in and start looking at VTL, it's very scary. Even though it's manageable, you can do anything in it. It's just essentially a programming uh, language that you could kind of do all of the things that you could do. But if you've never used it before, the debugging isn't that good. So we're really working on actually building uh an optional JavaScript or, or Python or something like that option. So like you don't like we're if we fix that, like I'll be so happy. And that's that's something we are focusing on.
0: It's really exciting to hear that, Um, like living in a JavaScript world between lambdas and our front end and everything, like we're doing mostly Angular, but if you're in React, whatever, to be able to go in a single language would be fantastic in that scenario. So, yeah, Yeah. the custom resolvers have been interesting. Uh, One of the things that we found pretty early on was, uh, I wouldn't say a limitation, it's just more of a learning curve, was... We have kind of some back end databases that were already there that we don't want modeled out within Amplify. Um, so we don't want Amplify creating those tables. And so having to create like a custom resolver to an existing table seems like it's not that clearly cut in the documentation, if you will. So kind of learning how to do that with a custom resolver and things like that, um, it's definitely more challenging than i expected but also once you got it like the world's your oyster type.
1: Yeah, it just works
0: yeah um so I, I guess kind of in that same vein and actually one other thing before i forget to mention it, that the reason we went AppSync kind of right off the bat was that being used to that firebase layer where you're getting uh, true like synchronization back and forth uh app sync um for, for app, Amplify AppSync, you actually get subscriptions out of that, too. So you're getting those triggers when something updates through a resolver. Um, that is one other piece to, to keep in mind, folks. If you are diving into that world, it has to be through a resolver that you actually get that subscription trigger. Um, so if you're trying to do it off a uh, uh, existing database table and not through AppSync... It won't work. You'd have to do like some uh, Dynamo streams or something like that. So just definitely- yeah,
1: yeah. It, 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 DynamoDB knows nothing about the um, re- the subscription itself. It's more like only if the operation is sent through AppSync. So like yeah, like you mentioned, you can set up a trigger off of a stream, and um, and then you know do whatever you like at that point. And then there's also um, the idea of of a uh, sending a subscription. Um, trigger or triggering a mutation that doesn't have any actual changes in your backend layer just to trigger the subscription. So you could like create a mutation and actually hit no data source. Yeah. And all that does is just triggers that subscription. So a lot of people do, do opt for that in those uh, situations.
0: Yeah, that's what we were actually just heading there. And, uh, I might ask you afterwards a little more in depth, but, uh, the, the piece about like having a Lambda, lambda just kind of taking requests and seems a little heavy handed just to trigger that no data uh, land, or no data um, data source in that resolver. So I might pick your brain afterwards. Okay, sure. <laughs> um, so kind of in that that same vein, something that, that we ran into, and this is a little bit wordy of a question, but um, what we've run into is that, even though you kind of start to think you're direct modeled to Dynamo, um, you start running into issues where like you're, you're running a scan and you know if you're at a limit of like 10 items or 20 items or whatever, um, Dynamo actually passes that back. But then because you have authorization filtering within AppSync behind Cognito, um, you actually lose a lot of that data. So even within like that 20, that really came back in your request, you've removed out like 15 of them. All of a sudden it's like, wait a minute, where, where's my data going? Do you see a lot of issues coming about that or is it more of a, a learning lesson where you should do a better job modeling out your data before you kind of get going with that?
1: Yeah, it's definitely um, not intuitive when you're first coming into it and when you run into that. So we're doing a couple things to, to mitigate that. Uh, first of all, we're in, we're increasing the uh the initial limit from ten to something like either a hundred or a thousand, and actually, there's a conversation already going on with a with an initial pull request to kind of make that update. Um, and therefore, you know, when you're just starting off, you're probably not going to go over a thousand items when you're testing it out. Um, but you know, that is only part of the problem. You're still scanning your entire database just for filtering out maybe a dozen or so
0: items. Okay, um, I can. But- having the, the 10 in there because we hit the realization like sooner that we we're gonna have yeah that's, that's a good point. I don't know. I mean Well, well
1: we're doing another thing like uh, around our documentation um, where we're gonna provide, you know, another like first class use case around around this and what it's gonna be and, and what, what I like to do anyway on every single database that I create through um, AppSync um, and with Amplify, and it's something we don't really talk about enough in the docs, but it's something we're gonna probably do. So if you're working with DynamoDB in general, it's, it's usually like uh, known as like a good practice to have a consistent type field uh, or s- something that's consistent across every item in your database that you can then use that as a, a partition key. So for instance, uh, if you have a post table or let, let's say a to-do table, then you might have a type name or a type of to-do and every single item gets populated with that type. Um, what you can then do is, uh, when you actually want to do a more efficient uh, query operation, you have that base partition key to then add additional sort sort keys off of. So then you could say, okay, um, instead of doing that filter, you know, after the scan, instead, let's just do a real a real uh, query, and we'll have that partition key to start with, and then we can uh, do a sort key off of any other um, column in the entire database.
0: Yeah. And
1: that way it's it's already ready to go and it's really easy to start adding additional data access patterns.
0: Yeah, I think we finally just this morning actually came to the realization we were we were probably modeling things out too much like a MySQL type of database where columns and rows and things mattered so much. And um, we kind of started running into that same issue. So we, we took in did one single column for a category which there you actually, go. <laughs> actually started to become our old table names and now we have this massive single table or at least two tables probably we'll end up with um, and then we have global secondary indexes that do like all of the things that we need to do at this point so that that's a huge like learning curve and i think it would be useful maybe i'll even throw a lesson up or we could do something where we can get it on to uh amplifies website to just talk through that data modeling piece i think it's it's probably more so belongs in the dynamo db world to get through but as a front-end developer where you don't have probably that expertise um on the back-end database side of things it's mm-hmm. really important to start to explain like this is still essentially a, i don't know if you call it object type database or a no database yeah um, stop thinking about it in the this column row type of setup
1: Right, right. I mean, I think that um, there, when you when you start get digging into DynamoDB, at least for me, at first, like a year or two ago, I think the the material that the community is creating now is actually getting better. But when I first started looking at it, it was very, very confusing for me. And I think a lot of it had to do with, um, I'm not going to say it's not good documentation, but I think it's documentation geared towards people that already kind of understand that space a little bit. I but, agree. You know, so like, but when you actually break down exactly, you know, if you can explain it in a way that actually is easier for people like me, you know, coming into this new to understand the actual idea of how to create a key and then query on that isn't that complex. Right. But I think the way that they, they talk about it was very confusing to me. So I think there's a lot of opportunity there also just to kind of re-explain the things that are already available, but in the easier to digest way.
0: I feel like there, there's a good opportunity there for like some beginner um, like coming from front end development to like understanding Dynamo because we went back now which has been two three months since we've been on this project and um, we look at the docs and it's like oh yeah it's all in here but when we first read it like trying to understand like the primary key sort of key you're only allowed this and it's like oh like we're, we're used to dealing with like Firestore like just throw it all in and then make an index later, don't worry about it. Right,
1: right, right. And what, you mentioned something interesting earlier though, that you were basically saying you have a column that you're you're basically doing what you would have done in the past, I give it a table name. Um, and, and there's some stuff that I've been working on around, um, ideas around uh, a new API for DynamoDB for front end developers that's something like Firebase, but without GraphQL. And uh, the idea was to use a single table and have a collection name uh, yeah. partition key. And then you can just like query on that collection name and then add additional indexes on it. And that yeah. way you can like just dump everything into that
0: column. That's um, exactly <laughs> it. So it would make, it would make a front end developer's life a lot easier, I think. But who knows?
1: That's cool. That's cool. It's interesting to hear this feedback.
0: Yeah. Um, so yeah, we were starting to migrate to 4.18. I don't know if you've done the same. And one of the hiccups we keep running into is we cannot get TypeScript... Uh, like the mapping and lambdas to work. Uh, We've tried everything. So we're we're webpacking up essentially our lambda using TypeScript. Mm -hmm. Um, And we can't get, so it used to be, uh, I'm going to forget the name now, amplify init, no, not init function, invoke. It used to be amplify invoke function or function invoke. And we were getting by like debugging and stuff like that. Have you tried it on four eighteen um, within lambdas for the debug side of it?
1: No, but this is something we obviously need to, to to look into. Is it like a bug essentially? You think?
0: I I honestly don't know. I've tried it a million like different variations and my setup on VS Code, and um, there was a change where in four seventeen it used to do. Um, you would say invoke and then you would pick like your handler and everything. And at least it would kick into uh, the local terminal um, and debug it, but I can't in 4.18. So yeah, if you have time at some point, maybe we could dive into that off off uh, offline as well.
1: We released, I think 4.19 last night. Um, I don't, I don't expect that. Uh, I know whether or not this was fixed or not, but t- check that out. And if it's not fixed, uh, or if you still have questions about it, I would open up a ticket under the CLI issues oh. and we can take a
0: look. Yeah, it'd be interesting. That's that's probably a one interesting, maybe not a limitation, but it's uh, something that I've been struggling with. Again, like um, from the Firebase world, they have kind of localized emulators. I don't know if you guys usually use like the SAM tool for that emulation or how you're usually getting through that.
1: For the local mocking?
0: Uh, yeah, for local mocking of lambdas.
1: I'm actually not sure what they're using under the hood.
0: Okay. Yeah, I'd be curious, like, how uh, a normal, like, normal, whatever whatever that means, how uh, front-end developers are kind of testing and debugging their lambdas that they're triggering through Amplify. Um, that's something that we've, we've had a decent struggle with. Uh, so a lot of times it's crazy console logging out in uh, Amplify itself or out in uh, aws once is deployed and just trying to pick through the code at that point yeah
1: so, yeah really, that's, like, that's always yeah. honestly been the thing with uh with serverless functions yeah. to me is the uh, the testing and, and and stuff like that yeah
0: cool yeah. especially in
1: the in like when you deploy a new update you know it just takes uh, a while for the for the change to be up updated it's not instant like local and and yeah that's that's something that you know, it's always been a pain point. We've improved it, but it still has a lot of, a lot of work to go, I think.
0: Yeah, Yeah. It'd, be, it'd just be neat to be able to emulate that more locally, I guess. So I'll keep picking around and see what I can find. Um, so images are kind of always in the forefront of front-end development. We always have to manage it somehow. Um, I know I use a lot of Cloudinary um, type of tools and stuff like that is CloudFront still kind of the best solution in AWS? And is there um, a good methodology with the, I think it's called Media Convert um, for getting different size images as well?
1: Yeah, so first of all, you you mentioned Cloudinary, right? Um, So to me, like if you need any of that really interesting, like um, really robust functionality, that I would actually just use something like Cloudinary. And I know I work for AWS, but I'm always quick to tell someone to use something if I think it, it, it does a job better. And until we have something like that, um, if you need something to you know, to easily define, like let's say you need a, an image that's this size by this size, um, you could write all of that code and kind of like um, automatically make those updates from a Lambda trigger and then serve it from CloudFront. Yeah, you could do all that. Um, but if you need something just quick and easy, like to me Cloudinary has such a great uh, API and um, it's so easy to get up and running with. I would love if we had built, if we built something like that serves a similar use case but we don't have anything right now. So I think it just depends on the use case. Uh, I would say either reach for Cloudinary if you don't want to build something like that yourself. If not, I would create you know um, a, a Lambda trigger off of, of S3 and define all the different images sizes that you need for each one. Uh, make all of those, up, uh, those updates for every upload and then serve that from CloudFront.
0: Okay, and CloudFront's pretty much the best uh, way to go with the CDN for for fronting that then? I think so. We did have a kind of an interesting question that came up around pricing on CloudFront. It, the only thing I could find um, as far as like limiting CloudFront access is to set, or I think you can request like a pricing tier so it only prices for North America and Europe was an option? Is that, like, there's basically no way to say CloudFront at the at the edge, don't serve it in China type of thing? You know, I'm not an
1: expert in CloudFront, and I don't know the answer to that question, to be honest. So I would have to look into oh. it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> cool. Um, so something that keeps coming up, the rest of the product team that we work with actually uses Terraform. Um, to keep everything kind of in sync for the infrastructure side of things. Jumping off into Amplify, um, and for for those who don't know, um, CloudFormation is basically what's running underneath of, if that's the right word, Amplify. So anytime you're creating APIs or creating databases and things like that, your stacks are getting generated within CloudFormation um, to create that tooling. Do you find that... The benefits to all the like front end pieces um, that connect you, or the the mobile, however you want to say it, um, for Amplify, it's worthy enough to keep that separated. Or do you find teams kind of uh, do a, like a little bit of half and half, where like if you have deep infrastructure stuff, leave that in a separate project, use Terraform or Cloud CloudFormation or serverless framework directly. And then for your front end stuff, if you have certain tables or things, serve that on this side, is that?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. And that comes up a lot. And and I think that um, it's worth stepping back and like looking at the two types of developers or customers that use Amplify. One is the developer that only uses the client SDKs and they then are deploying their AWS infrastructure on Terraform or serverless framework, or they've written some stuff in the console or even CloudFormation or whatever. Um, And they're only worried about interacting with the APIs, and they think that Amplify offers the best, you know, easiest user experience and ways to kind of call, you know, their Lambda, I'm I'm sorry, their uh, API gateway or AppSync endpoints and all that stuff, S3. So there's that developer, and then there's the developer that buys into like the full end-to-end solution, the CLI, which creates CloudFormation, which is in a similar space as like serverless framework and all these other things. So like, let's say that you're not one of these front end, uh, one of these developers that already has their infrastructure deployed and you're kind of investigating the different options between serverless framework and Terraform and and Amplify CLI. I think that, uh, you know, the Amplify CLI was actually just released in 2018, I believe mid 2018, so it's less than two years old. Um, When you look at something like Terraform released in 2014, serverless framework, I don't remember when that that was released. Mm the, the feature parity just isn't there yet with Amplify CLI. So um, we don't support everything that um, serverless framework does. We don't support all the stuff that CloudFormation does. Um, you, can, uh, do an, you can escape out of Amplify with CloudFormation though, so you can write your own CloudFormation for anything that we don't support yet, but it's not like a first class citizen. Yeah. So like I, I typically would recommend, like look at the feature set that we provide and look at the trade-offs between developer velocity versus uh, like whatever else you're going to get out of some other tool and then just make that decision. So a lot of times people will start with Amplify and then they'll get to a point where they realize it's slowing them down because if they need to add a lot of custom stuff, it starts becoming not as uh, as easy as they would have liked. Then they kind of eject. But at that point, their application is already been proven to work and they're happy with where it is and they can now, okay, like we've used Amplify for that DX and that developer velocity. Now we wanna take it to the next level. So we're gonna eject it and continue uh, writing additional features. Um, some people stick with Amplify and, and like they they are able to do everything they want and they, they stick with it. Um, other people evaluate everything and they decide to start with serverless framework or, or whatever and then only use the front end uh, client SDKs. So I think it just depends and and we're you know our end goal is to make it to where you never have to ever leave amplify CLI ecosystem. We want to yeah. write all that cloud formation and do everything from the CLI and then let you know of course let you customize it. Um but I think we still have some ways to go before we're there.
0: Yeah, no, that's a very honest answer and it's a good answer too because uh, I think every piece of that we've kind of hidden. like we have days where we're like Maybe we should jump out, but it's like, oh, it provides all these things that are really nice for our developer experience. Maybe we should stay in. And so we're constantly always evaluating and just, it would be nice to have like a model where we could fully eject, I guess, from, from Amplify easily to, to get to it. But um, I, I've kind of like sat there and went pros and cons through the whole list to look at what it would take. Um, I don't think it would be that bad, honestly, to, to get through it. It just, the niceties when we have to change a, a model and it updates our API and boom, we're done. It, it always outweighs kind of the the other factors and it still provides um, infrastructure as code realistically because you have the cloud formation piece um, kind of baked into it for what we need. So we're, we're kind of covered there. That's always been like, you have to be infrastructure as code is, is number one First-class citizen type of setup, um, and once we explain, like we still are doing that, our our infrastructure folks, you know, they calm down a little bit and they're they're a little happier about it. So, it's kind of cool to to hear you have customers and all different methodologies using that. And hundred percent, I agree. Like with that that DX side of things, <laughs> it's great. And
1: like one of the things that I'm always hammering on, and a lot of other people on my team, thankfully, also believe believe in this. Like a lot, is uh, providing the most you know easy to use and really fully like supported escape hatches. And we want to like have those escape hatches for the things that we don't support, and we also want to make those easy to use. So right now, like we're we're currently working on some uh, modifications and and new things that we're building into Amplify CLI to make that even better than it, than it already is and make it easier. So, like, it's something we're completely, you know, aware of and focusing on. So,
0: so I was gonna ask, um, kind of, what is what is next for Amplify? We have we have the video plugin coming out. Um, I was trying to bring it up here. Let me see if I can throw it on the screen. This is weird. Having my camera dying, man. I don't like it. Okay. So for folks who haven't seen, here's the uh, AWS Amplify window. That is ginormous. I got a new widescreen. This thing. Is-
1: That's nice.
0: That's cool. Um, so this is this is the main page that you can get to. And then the new docs are out there. Um, I think they'll show up, maybe. Yeah, so this is the new doc page, which is excellent. Um, the piece that I wanted to show everyone is I didn't realize this till not that long ago, but there is AWS uh, Labs for different items. So I definitely wanted to, you know, that was my one shout out to make sure people are able to to check that out for Amplify. Um, I threw out the Amplify Video piece, uh, a little tutorial on on coding Cat Dev but I was curious, are there other items that are coming up that people should know about and that you wanna tell people about that you're working on?
1: So I think if you look through some of the GitHub issues and uh, the CLI repo and the JavaScript repo and, and any of the native repos, you'll see RFCs. So you'll be able to kind of see actually exactly the things that we're considering doing out in the open. There's always a couple of things that we're kind of working on, uh, like I would say, um, behind closed doors that are going to be like really um, innovative new additions. But most of the work that we do is directly driven by feedback from people that are already using it. So. We use the GitHub uh, RFCs to kind of have those discussions and make sure we get all the input from everyone. So if you want to know kind of like where we're headed, you'll see a lot of that there. You'll also see a, a few things that happen by the end of the year that were not discussed because they're you know very big deals, like innovative stuff that we're truly excited about. Um, look out for the Flutter SDK, that's that's being worked on. That's oh, really? out in the open. That's not like a secret or anything, yeah. So um, we have that coming, we're excited about that. Um, as we like, Start to take on all of the 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 breadth of, of developers that we've kind of onboarded over the last year where we're hitting you know we're starting to hit all of these edge cases because when you when you scale up you get all these new people in and they're they're trying all these new things and they come up with things that we we you know they hit all these these roadblocks that we probably either haven't accounted for or we didn't you know um, put them as a priority so like all of these new people trying out amplifying, using it, or bringing all this amazing feedback. And we're kind of really always reevaluating all that stuff. And, and we're using all of that information to kind of decide what to do next and prioritize. So everything's customer driven. Everything is driven by the, by the developers. So if you want to be part of that conversation, just jump into the GitHub issues and, and look around and you'll see some stuff happening in, in there.
0: Very cool. Yeah, that's a great place to go to. Um, so we always do what we call a perfect picks. Um, I'm going to throw mine up because I know you, you probably need a minute to uh, kind of pick yours. Is there anything you, you want to share with someone, I can throw it up on the screen and we can take a look at it. Um, my pick for today is actually the, the AWS um, Amplify Unicorn Flicks. So I, I, I had started putting a couple issues out when I was going through the videos because I was struggling to, to get through how to do the video course. And actually they said why don't you just check the uh, repo for the unicorn Flicks? I'm like, didn't even know that was there. That's pretty sweet. So that is my uh, pick for this podcast. Do you have anything from your side?
1: Yeah, I mean, I have a few different things. Um, first, the first, I guess I can plug is we brought a new, or we, we like had a new person join our team yesterday. His name is Kilo Loco on uh, social media, on YouTube and on Twitter. His name is actually Kali but he has a really great YouTube channel. And uh, he actually has created a couple of videos around his his experience in the industry over the last few years. And he, he was actually working at Bird uh, just a month ago um, and he got laid off and he wrote, and he did this video, I got laid off, I got like over 100,000 views. Wow. And um, his, his YouTube channel is great and he just joined our team and we're excited to have him and you'll see some really great uh, mobile stuff. So he's gonna do a lot of native iOS Android, but he's also probably going to do Flutter and React Native stuff a little bit. Um, I'm I'm super sure you guys are really into Flutter. And then the other thing is I have two books that I just recently finished. Uh, One is The Autobiography of Malcolm X, probably the best book that I've read in the last couple of years. Um, And then the other is a book called Flash Boys. And Flash Boys is uh, about uh, high-frequency trading and the software that runs it. And both of those were probably a couple of my favorite books. I've actually read flashboys like a couple of years ago, but I just reread it. Um, and I'm, and I just, I think it's such a really fascinating story about, uh, about how wall street and how, how, how frequency stock trading works.
0: Very cool. I'll have to throw them out in the uh, description. Awesome. Well, I, I super appreciate you coming on and, uh, talking about Amplify. I'd love to have you back on again, as we kind of dive into more subjects on, uh, AWS and Amplify, if uh, we can pull you back in.
1: I'd love to do it. Thank you for having me. It was, uh, it was a pleasure. I love talking about this stuff.
0: Awesome. Thanks so much. <laughs> Take care, here See ya. Thanks again for watching Perfect.dev. We also host a podcast on Perfect.dev. This feeds out to iTunes, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Overcast.fm, pocket casts radio public spotify and stitcher we hope to see you next time thanks for watching perfect.dev